Welcome to episode 146 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we are back. It, uh, it took us a couple weeks to figure out how to make this all work technologically since we are now uh, sequestered, separated from each other. It's a, it's a sad, sad existence, but we think we figured it out. Yeah, we're, we're moving forward. We, we're moving we, forward. It took us a few weeks to figure out how to Google how to podcast. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I wish I could say that, like, now that because of all this, I have more free time. I don't. I'm still basically, like, working full days. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it took me a little bit of time to, to get this all sorted. But, yeah, we're, we're making it happen. Uh, I hope everyone who's listening is home and safe and healthy and uh, surviving in this madness. And, I mean, I don't know if listening to us will help at all if you're trying to stave off madness. Uh, but I guess if you're listening, you enjoy it. So Yeah, just the soothe, calming voices of... The DC animated universe. <laughs> Two idiots talking about Coolio. Um, yep. Oh, so much to say about Coolio this week. So we're uh, we're gonna do our usual news, and then uh, we're gonna talk about Attack of the Living Brains, and then Duped the next brain two episodes. Brain puppets. Excuse static. me. Oh, brain puppets. Right. I'm. Yes, I please. These are not wrong. zombies. These are brain puppets. <laughs> I mean, I would watch an episode Attack of the Living Brains. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but we also get some, some very unexpected cameos this week, uh, which oh, would be a lot man. of fun this, to talk I, about. I think this is the most name-dropped an episode has been so far. It's, uh, oh my God, we'll, we'll get into it. I don't have much to say about the episode. I have a lot to say about the cameo. Yes. <laughs> uh, but starting off with some news here. So obviously with basically the entire entertainment industry shut down, uh, there's not a lot of new news coming out, but the big thing that's happening is obviously lots of release dates are getting pushed uh, as a result of the coronavirus and literally the box office being closed. Um, and I feel like a lot of them were kind of expected, like Bond had got pushed uh, before everything went into proper lockdown, Wonder Woman's gotten pushed. Um, but I feel like the the kind of big change that's happening right now is with disney and marvel specifically since like their films are very structured around their release dates and i think you cameron you sent me a list right of like mm -hmm. what gotten pushed yes yeah all so right. we have um for the disney basically what disney announced all together uh mulan we knew is being pushed to the end of july mm -hmm. uh the french dispatch which i don't know what that is i assume some that, live that's wes anderson movie. right it is. That, that's right. Okay, so the Wes Anderson movie is being pushed to October. Oh, so get, is that Fox Searchlight? I think so. I think, yeah, all of his movies oh. are through Searchlight. Um, uh, Black Widow, the first of the uh, MCU movies, is being pushed to November 6th. Uh, so we're still getting it this year. Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds comedy, uh, is being pushed to December 11th. Eternals. Uh, which would be the next Marvel film after that, is being pushed to next February. Uh, Shang-Chi, uh, which that's the next... That's also Marvel, right? Yeah, that's MCU. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, that's being pushed to May 7th. The Jungle Cruise movie is being pushed to next year, uh, July 30th. Doctor Strange, November 5th, 2021. Thor 4 is being pushed to February 28th, 2022. Captain Marvel 2 is July 2022. And then with, uh, for me, a surprising one, which I did not even know was in production, uh, is Indiana Jones is announced to be July 29th, 2022. 
Yeah, they're they're still forcing that upon us. I mean, the the most recent story prior to the release date, I guess change. I'm not sure if it ever had that date beforehand. Was that it looks like Steven Spielberg may not be directing, but James Mangold might be doing it instead. Um, for those of you who don't know who James Mangold is, uh, he is the director of Kate and Leopold, which was one of my weird like guilty pleasure rom-coms of the early 2000s uh but far more recent and relevant he directed logan and ford versus ferrari oh okay yeah he also did 310 to yuma like i I don't know it seems weird to do indiana jones without spielberg but if someone's gonna do it i'd be pretty okay with james mangold who's proven consistently that he's not only a great director but he can kind of jump into any genre and like just be a master at it pretty much instantaneously he's he's a I, i think one of actually the best directors out right now so that could be interesting. Um, but I mean, uh, so looking at like even Mulan, July now, do we even think that's going to keep? I I mean, I, I hope so. Because I think the problem now is there's no space left in 2020. And that's yeah. why we're seeing movies being pushed like a full year mm-hmm. is for these box offices to continue to make money and, and hit the kind of numbers they're expecting and hoping to hit. Uh they they can't fit anything else in this year. Everything is already competing with itself. Yeah. No, I mean, it shows that uh, Bond was smart being one of the first ones to push till November because they were able to kind of like plant a flag there um, and stave off competition. Although, yeah. And didn't wait, you say Bond normally comes out in November? Yeah, Bond's normally um, a no- November film. But actually, I think now like Black do you have, Widow. Do you have poker chips next to you? Do I have poker chips next to me? Yeah, there's like a, I'm, I'm picking up like you're playing with poker chips. No, it's my keyboard. Oh. <laughs> Cameron, you, you are, are far more like the, the fidgeter of the two of us. I love that's where your brain went though. Yeah, I feel like you would have poker chips next to you. I mean, anytime I'm talking James Bond, I immediately have to have my you know, my official Casino Royale poker chips. Exactly. Just like sit and stack and flick between my fingers all of the chifra. Yes, just ruffle a little bit. <laughs> I, I couldn't, when I was in Vegas, I couldn't stop doing the the, the coin trick. Did move. everyone hate you? No, because I didn't drop them. Oh, okay. I, I know what I'm doing. I practiced a lot. That would be really embarrassing to like practice doing that at the table. Yeah. And just constantly fumble the chips and piss everybody off. Well, it was like back in the day in high school when I was pin spinning and I taught everyone in class and it was just like a cacophony of pins hitting the ground for 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure they, they loved you. Oh no, I was fine. It was it was the rest of the class that didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, but they all blame. I'm sure all the teachers knew it was you, though, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's such a menace, Cameron. Everybody I am. Go. So, the- uh, what I think is also interesting here with like these release dates is we're also seeing more stuff going either straight to streaming or having the uh, theatrical window like close up. So, as a recording. Uh, Onward has just gone up on Disney Plus. Uh, Artemis Fowl is going to go straight to Disney Plus, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, I mean, that's not surprising because I feel like Disney has no faith in that movie. No, I mean, they've pushed that movie so many times. I think it was point. supposed to come out in 2017 or 2018 was the first trailer we got. 
Something like that. I mean, at this point, it's that and New Mutants, right, are the two films that Disney's just like, what the hell do we do with these? Yeah. And I think for Disney specifically with those, like, um, non-remake live-action films, Disney has consistently, or not Disney, those movies have consistently underperformed in the box office and greatly underperformed with reviews. Oh, yeah. So thinking Wrinkle in Time did horribly um before that um you know if we go back a couple years tomorrowland is that same bucket or oh, these, yeah, it's, it's these grand scale movies and it's like no one cares yeah it, i care i go see I them mean, you, all you're the last person still going and seeing those movies how many times have you seen tomorrowland three times oh my god you are the only person on the planet who's seen that movie so i times. watched it one i watched it twice in theaters the second time hoping I would like it more. <laughs> Cause like that's a movie I I wanted to like that movie so badly. Yeah, same. It was I such mean, a cool premise. It was Brad Bird. Yeah. Uh, I know. So I, it just it, it just like it just didn't it didn't work. I did listen to the score recently on it. It's not bad. Okay. That, but that's yeah, good. Yeah. The trailer yeah. is is great. Yeah, it's just the, the movie was so drab and boring. Instead of being like fun and exciting. Yeah, like we wanted to see Tomorrowland. Yeah, and we just got like basically none of it. We just got that like that one tease that was in the trailer. So fuck it. Just yeah. watch the trailer, skip the movie. So I mean, but do you do you think that this is the beginning of a tipping point where studios are now going to be more open to putting things up on their in-house streaming platforms rather than putting in the theater if they're not super sold on it? Um, no. No? Okay. I don't think so. I, I don't think there's enough money in this. You think this is just a fluke? You think this is just like whatever they can do to try and, you know, recover some costs they're going to do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I don't think um, Universal or Warner has has put out their numbers, but Universal and Warner were the first to jump on yeah. putting their movies out uh, digitally first. Or not first, but, you know, they were pretty quick from theater to stream. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, once the theater's closed, they're like, well, fuck it, just put it out. Yeah, and, and I, I wish they would have put up the numbers they made, but I don't think they made much. No, probably not. I mean, it, it's tough because even if they put it up on iTunes to buy, that's 20 bucks. So that's one movie ticket now, at least for L.A., Right. Um, and it's so, imagining, yeah, imagine for like Onward, you're going with your family to see that. And now yeah. you're dropping $20 to get Onward for potentially a family of four. Yeah, exactly. Versus spending what, between like 15, 80 bucks to go yeah. see that in the theater. And those are um, the, and those are the ethical people that actually buy it. You have to think of, you know, the huge market of if one, once one person buys it, the whole internet has it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Like it's, it's just out there now. And I, I, I I think what I found most surprising on all of this was that they put Onward on Disney Plus so quickly. Because that, for me, seemed like a, a Pixar movie that no one was super excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and like now that it's up on Disney Plus, I'll absolutely watch it. But you know, I was not going to... I may have rented it on iTunes, but I wasn't going to buy it on iTunes. And I really wasn't interested in seeing it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess this is just a, a recovery tactic on their part, but... I don't know. I'll be very curious to see now if this does overall 
shorten the theatrical window. But like you said, we probably won't know because no one's putting out any numbers. Yeah, and I feel like all of the numbers are underperforming. Yeah. What I, what I could see come out of this are more are are um more Netflix kind of movies. Or for mm, Disney, yeah. I for Disney, I feel like their direct-to-video market could have a huge surge after this. Oh, that's true. You, they, yeah. they can bring back the 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 shitty sequels of the nineties. <laughs> we can meet Ariel's daughter again. We can have a what if story of Cinderella didn't get the glass slipper. We can have the fifth Lion King movie. Oh my god, yeah. This time it'll be like Simba's granddaughter. It'll focus on on Zazu instead. <laughs> I mean, hey, if they brought back Rowan Atkinson, I'd watch that. That's true. Same. <laughs> Lion King one and three fourths. You just follow Sazu. <laughs> the Lion King nine and three quarters. The crossover yeah. no one expected. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's all it's all pretty crazy. Like, I mean, you know, I think even these release dates are hoping that the theaters will be back open again come July. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. And even then, it's like, will people still want to go to the theater, or is this maybe one of like the final nails in the coffin of like the theatrical experience i so there's there's a story that i read the other day which it it gave me a nice bit of hope for like public outings again in the future okay Uh, but in the midst of all of of everything closing there's one market that's still booming in texas and that's the drive-in theater market oh yeah i guess that that makes sense yeah, with this, I mean, I you, you need space for a drive-in theater, which which is not ample in L.A. No. Um, but I could definitely see this being a resurgence for the drive-in market. Or we can we could see some of these kind of start popping up again. And, like, that being the new theater experience. Yeah. I mean, I... Have you ever... You've gone to a drive-in before. I've never done a drive-in before. Okay, I haven't either, actually. I feel like it could be kind of cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, all, all movies make it look like so much fun and so rambunctious. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it definitely could be interesting if that does start to swing back around again. Because um, mm-hmm. let's be honest, like, even as it was, going to theater already was just kind of shitty. Like, I feel like most of the times I would go, I'd have someone being talkative or on their phone or just, you know, uh, difficult. Yeah, but yeah, there's so many other distractions. Yeah. Uh, and I would love for this to be a time for theaters to kind of revamp in some way. I don't know how they would do it. Oh my I, God. Do you, do you think they'll try once again to do the, uh, um, the, the phone screenings? Like remember that was a thing a couple of years ago where one of the chains, maybe it was AMC was considering having certain showings where you are allowed to have your phone out. Oh God, no. Cause I want them to go the other way. I, I want <laughs> some kind of device where just over the seats specifically, like the aisles would be fine, but over the seats specifically, it would be a permanent dead zone. I, I want to put a movie theater inside a Faraday cage so no signal can get inside and out. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I feel like you need, on the sides, you need to be able to get out in case there is some kind of emergency. So I just need it on, like, the seats. Yeah, I'm so down. You there know, because was... we... <laughs> We all know that the theaters are going to have so much more money after this to build Faraday cages. Yeah. 
I mean, but but that that is an interesting idea, though. Like once once the quarantine is lifted, will people just like what what will the the um, the curve look like of social activity? Because if we look at what China is doing right now, there was no boom like I was expecting, because people yeah. were so scared to go out. It you know the 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 curve of kind of social activity and and. Um, I think it was through uh, restaurants. It was what they were basing it off of. Um, it, it was a very gradual rise back up of people slowly coming out, slowly still in fear of, of being outside. Yeah, I, I think we're still going to see that here too. Where I mean, I, I feel like some areas might get slightly more of a spike. Like I imagine like LA residents, for example, who are used to being able to be outside and be very sociable are mm-hmm. going to like jump at the chance to not be in their apartments and houses. I mean, the second movie theaters are open again. I'm going to buy a full day's worth of tickets. Oh yeah. I'm not going to see you for a week. <laughs> you're, you're basically going to self isolate inside the Grove. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. But I've also been thinking about like, what is Disney going to look like after this? Disneyland Dis- and Disney Disneyland. World. Yeah. I, I'm very curious about that too. I mean, this is the longest it's ever been closed. Yeah. Um, and well, yeah, Disney I, World I, also has so when when Disneyland when you enter the park they they have the photo system where you scan your pass they take a photo of you and then you go in. Uh, Disney World is a bi- is a biometric sensor so you it's a finger touch. Oh, it's, it's, oh. it's a two finger touch. Yeah, and they they just finished converting all the parks to this. You know, within the past five years. Oh shit! And so like, well, obviously they can't do that right now. Um. That's, I mean, that's surprising. I didn't know they were doing that. That's a weird move on their part. Well, I mean, it was, I guess it was it, all it's... through the Magic Band. There was no, there was no proof that that was your to, to connect your band to you. So yeah. you scan your Magic Band, and then it, it cuts uh, cast members. So you don't need people at the front gate anymore. Oh, okay. Except mm-hmm. you know, like one security person every kind of six stations. So you have a person scan their Magic Band, touch the the sensor. It lights up green, and then you walk through. Oh my god! How impersonal. Yeah. How Disney. How how twenty first century. I mean, let's be honest. Disneyland will still be packed. I mean, the, oh my god, yeah. What, the two days from when they announced the park was closing to when it actually closed, they were at max capacity. Mm-hmm. So Disney fans are going to go straight back there, regardless. Absolutely. So I don't know. I, I, I would like to say that I would be smarter than that. No, you'll, you'll be we'll back see. there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what time says. Yeah. You'll be in line at 4 a.m. waiting for the gates to open. Yeah, well, because we can also kind of base this off of what Shanghai is doing. Because Shanghai opened their Disneyland about two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, but they're opening in kind of quadrants. So the first thing they opened, and, and I'm sure Disney World will open this way. The first thing they opened was their downtown area. So Disney Springs over in World, Downtown Disney out here will probably open first, and then you'll get kind of the restaurants moving and kind of the small businesses there, they are moving. Um, and then they opened up kind of their Main Street and One Land, and with very limited access, access oh, and very limited capacity. And they're kind of going like one land at a time, opening up the rest of the park. Huh. Um, and then, like, uh, no shows are going on yet, so no theater experiences, no parades. Uh, Wait, but that, what if I really want to spend an afternoon with Mr. Lincoln? 
I, I'm sorry, Chris. You can't can't do it's it. It's the only reason worth going to Disneyland. I know. Can't see that. Can't see Muppet Muppet Vision. And uh, what, do, what do we have? Philhar Magic. Ah. Uh, tragic. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it'll be very fascinating. What's going to happen to the parks uh, after all this? No, it definitely will be. Um, but hey, you know what? At least in the meantime, we have so many streaming platforms to keep ourselves busy and, uh, and more to come and more to come i know thank god uh all the static shock is up on this or dc universe so we could actually watch it during all yeah. this uh well actually on that topic shall we go ahead and uh move on to our episodes of the week yeah let's, let's talk about some static all right so first up is attack of the living brain puppets thank you yes uh which this is kind of an odd one a little bit so the the villain in this is like the uh the perfect schoolgirl, um madeline spaulding who wants to run for freshman president and apparently she's also a bang baby and has the ability to control people's minds and so she starts going to try and read minds that's true read minds and control them she's basically got professor x powers Mm -hmm. and so she's using it to try and run for the school president. Uh, she discovers who Static is, and also that her powers don't work on him. So then she basically turns the entire town into like mindless zombie-like creatures to like hunt him down and stop him. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a you know very much an episode of the week sort of thing for me. Like, was, is think, this the Halloween episode? You think? I don't. I, uh, I forgot to look up when this episode came out. Uh, no, this came out in April of two thousand two. Great. So, so uh, like, like we have uh, Christmas in July. We have half Christmas. This is half Halloween. It's half Halloween. Yeah. I, I, but let's be honest. Like every, I think pretty much every cartoon at some point does a zombie episode, right? Like I'm rewatching the Clone Wars right now, and even that show did a zombie episode at some point. Mm-hmm. So everyone just has to find their like in-universe justification for it. And I, I mean, I guess if you're gonna use telekinesis or tel- telepathy as a, a justification it, it kind of works mm-hmm. um it did give us that great moment where uh richie recreates like the famous shot from invasion of the body snatchers when he just screams at static that was kind of fun yeah but I, I don't know like the episode's like kind of okay but my my big thing on it was i think this has the worst messaging of any static episode we've watched so far popularity wins yes yeah Yes. So two things. One is popularity wins. So no one likes Madeline, even though like, I mean, in some ways she's like, she's kind of modeled after the like, like the classic version of the like the the type A model A student, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess she just like takes it too far. That's why no one likes her. But she has to use her powers trying to get any sort of attention. And then she's going up against Richie, who's running on a let's fix the vending machine platform. Yeah. Did you, Which did, I you love. Ever, did you ever have anything like that in school of like someone like running on kind of like a joke platform like that for student body? Um, I'm, I don't think so. I, I feel because like because we only had we had we had the same class president all four years okay. of high school. No term uh, limits, I see. No. Nah. I, I feel like this is one of those high school tropes that only exists in fiction. Yeah, it's, it's this one, and then like the the major petitioning for homecoming king and queen. Yeah, it's like, I don't think any of that sort of shit actually happens. Like, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, it's been many years since I graduated high school at this point. 
But I don't remember that ever being a big thing about like, oh, who's running and like the drama behind it and the conflict. Like it, it just doesn't really exist. I feel like the cartoons and the, the high school TV shows use that because they have to like add drama to what is otherwise like, let's be honest, like not a super dramatic part of your life. Yeah, but like, there might be some school because we, we also come from very unique schooling backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe some public schools have this kind of situation. Yeah, ex- well, that's the thing. It's like none of this stuff is important, but, in, you know, in the shows it always is. But It's, it's the so peak that, of their life, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely the peak of their life. And then the so the third person running for uh, president is Joey Bombora, who all we know about him initially is that, like, all the girls think he's super dreamy. And you're like, okay, so, like, he's just popular. But then the, the one scene he actually gets in the show, he's also kind of an idiot because he doesn't realize that Richie is also running against him. Yeah, that's also just kind of a trope they played right into. Yeah, so at the end of the day, like, he ends up winning, and Richie gives this, like, really fun concession speech. But it just proves that if you're, like, dumb and handsome and people like you, then you are the best possible candidate to (laughs) to run student body president. Exactly. I mean, like, I mean, okay, so Richie's running on a a joke platform, basically. But what you at least got to give Richie credit for is he's smart, he is funny. He is charismatic. Like he's up on stage and like he gets the crowd engaged with his, you know, very high school teenage boy level comedy. Like he actually would be a good person for this. Okay, so let's let, let's do our, our classic game of how would we make this episode better? Okay. How I I agree. I think something should have happened where in the end Madeline realizes that she's being too controlling because she's trying to, I mean, the, the whole theme is the beginning. She's trying to control the school. Yeah. So have her, we, I think we need a scene at the beginning where she's either picketing or doing something where she's trying to control the, the people of the school just without her power. Yeah. I think you need to set her up as a character who isn't so smug. Like, she's presented as being like really self-interested and obnoxious. I think if you make her a bit more gregarious, Mm -hmm. I I think, okay, here, here's how I think she should be. She should work. She should be a, uh, like a hardcore rebel and advocate, a social advocate. Okay. So she is the person. Cause then you have kind of this conflict of like, she's controlling people, but she's kind of doing it for the better. Where, you know, like there's teachers that there's like some scandal going on in school and she's trying to bring it up to the people and no one's listening to her or she's trying to stop some, you know, we'll, we'll go with the, 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 the obvious trope or not obvious, the basic trope of a company's trying to cut down a forest. She's trying to stop them, you know, attaching herself to a tree. Yeah. And then realizes that she can control people. So yeah, she's I mean- controlling them to not do this anymore. Yeah, you could even have it be something simple or like they're going to take out, I don't know, like a garden on campus to build some sort of new building, right? Like, I don't know, like a new extension of the locker room or a new gymnasium or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, so she's fighting for something that she believes in, but maybe not realizing like, oh, okay, there's some value to basically possibly having the gym. And she's just like a little bit short-sighted, but she's ambitious. And yeah, and I, I think then at least her motivation is a little bit more sympathetic and not just purely self-involved. Cause I feel like the way she set up at the beginning, there's real no arc to give her to make her feel redeemed by the end. Cause yes. she just, she, right from the beginning, you just don't 
like her. Right. And so then I think that would be a really cool balance between you have this person who has a very passionate, so you, you can still keep the, the school election thing. Mm-hmm. You have this person who is super passionate about a single issue of, you know, we need to keep the garden uh, or, you know, we need to, we, we don't need another sports expansion. We need to think about the other, the other parts of the school. Yeah. Um, you have that campaign, you have the, the dumb jock campaign, uh, and then you have Richie's joke campaign. Uh, so now you have like, you know, this, this conflict between this joke that no one really cares about and this person that's so passionate, she's willing to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, and then you can kind of, so then when she kind of goes off the deep end and controls people, then you can still have this election at the end where Richie kind of has this realization of like, oh shit, you know, what she was saying is true. Like we need to kind of focus on these issues too. Yeah. And then he can actually have the debate. You can kind of end the episode with the debate of him learning the lesson of, you know, we should listen to people and then him, you know, attaching her ideas to his debate or ending with Virgil and, and Richie and, and Frida and Daisy, maybe like going and planting a new garden somewhere. Right. Yeah. I think if you put the, maybe some of the narrative arc a bit on Richie here makes it interesting. Like if he starts out being like, Oh, this school politics stuff, it's just, you know, it's dumb. It's a joke. I'm just going to run on this like joke platform. And he realizes like, Oh, I'm actually getting in the way of someone who's actually trying to make a difference. And if that's the reason why Madeline starts to control him is that he's basically just like undercutting the genuine work she's trying to do. Then it makes both those stories a bit more interesting. Yeah. And I, I think you still end it with her kind of frying, you know, frying her brain and, and short circuiting herself. And so then you can even have like them with the flat at the <clears throat> at the garden, and you know, we see her, and she's like a flower next to her. Yeah, that that someone planted in the beginning of the episode. Because that's also the other thing that makes this episode have terrible messaging is her brain gets fried, and she. Like, the last time we see her, she's in some sort of uh, hospital, whether it's, like, a, a full-on psychiatric facility or just a normal hospital is unclear. But she's basically just, like, mindlessly watching, like, really, really young, you know, like, Teletubbies-level, like, kids' shows. These like, And it, it basically implies that Static fried her until she is, like, non-functioning now. Like, she's yeah. not quite, a, like, a like comatose, but, I mean, she is, like no longer functioning at a normal like mental level and it's like ah she'll be okay she's not okay yeah like she's not okay at all like i i was actually like really shocked that that's how this life ended i mean i get they had to wipe her memory somehow but then to have her you know i mean she's basically in even a worse mental state than the riddler is the end of batman forever yeah like, I am the Batman. And she like, look, she's kind of a brat, but she doesn't really <clears throat> deserve that. Right. We we needed a reason to dislike her more or make her more sympathetic. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, in my mind, that there's like no, what, 14, 15 year old girl uh, is, you know, mature enough, old enough to like really understand how the world works. And to, like also anyone who had those powers absolutely abused them. Oh, absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter if you start with having the right intentions. You know, eventually you will start 
serving your own interests. <clears throat> Why well, so, I think we even see that with like when Richie's trying to explain to Virgil about how she's a you know how she's a mind manipulator, and you see her standing on a podium with like the the people walking circles around her. Yeah, that that's the you know the the G rated way of abusing her powers. Yeah, but anyone would do it. I'm sorry. There, there, there's no one who's like pure of heart enough to actually use those powers in a, an effective way. I feel mm-hmm. like the o- even like the only like what hero exists in comics that their primary power is uh, telepathy is Professor X, and he's also like a huge asshole. Yeah. So, so we're we're gonna see her in one more episode. Yeah, she comes back again later on. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of uh, state she's in. Um, yes. But th- there were a couple of fun little things in here that I, I really liked, little moments. Uh, one is when we get the, the brief flashback to when she got her powers, it's her uh, attempting to like very <laughs> ignorantly uh, interview a homeless person who is, uh, what's the guy's name? Ragtime? Yes, Ragtime. Ragtag. Ragtag. <laughs> he, uh, you know, the guy who can then like give other people... Um, bang baby powers he's like standing next to her when the gas hits which i thought was kind of interesting like we get a a little sneaky origin for both of them Mm -hmm. um uh one of the i thought was interesting is when madeline goes inside richie's head all he's thinking about is virgil yes yep so i don't know i mean i don't know if that was uh if i'm just you know looking at everything through rainbow tinted glasses (laughs) Um, but I don't know to me, to me, that speaks a little bit to think what we talked about before that, you know, I think that it's implied a few places here and there that maybe like Richie might be in love with, uh, with Virgil. Um, which also I get it because the, like the first shot of Virgil in this, when he like goes to take off his costume, he is buff. Yeah. I mean, he, it's superhero bod. Yeah. I mean, he's never that buff ever again, but if that one moment, I'm like, Oh, hello. So I, I think in the flashback, it should have shown him shocking the, the vending machine, right? In the flashback. No, not flashback. Sorry, the the brain. See, when she's going through his brain. Oh, I feel like yeah. To for like story continuity, it should have been like you you see Richie with the vending machine because that's what he would be thinking about before his speech, and then it's a shot of of Virgil kind of like touching it and the whole thing glowing, and then it can she can be like, "What's this about?" And then she can like dig deeper, and then you have the like the flashes of Virgil. Yeah, and I think that makes more, more sense than the, like a bunch of shots of the two of them hanging out and then like this total like dream sequence thing of like static, like floating down from the sky, perfectly framed in the background and like taking off his mask and flipping his hair. Yeah. I mean, I'm so sexually. I'm here for it. Why? I not? mean, as, as sexually as they can as 15 year old cartoon characters. Yeah, let's not dive too deep into that. Uh <laughs> I don't know, any other um, little things you liked about this episode, fun moments? Uh, I, I'm reading the trivia on this right now. Uh, mm-hmm. but Because I, I was wondering like why Static is immune. Uh, but in the trivia section on Wikipedia, it says, Static, Static's immunity to mind control is carried over into the comics, where it's explained that his electromagnetic field produced by his body prevents him from being controlled in any way, such as when he managed to resist the influence of the anti-life equation during Final Crisis. This may explain not only the massive knockback he caused Madeline's psyche by using his powers on her with less uh, restraint, uh, but it's also shown later as the reason why Brainiac's controlling device broke down uh, 
just seconds after being placed on him in a league of their own part two. Oh, that's clever. I mean, yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. If he kind of has a, like a constant static field around him <clears> and they're, they're very liberal with uh, how electricity powers work. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and this, this also marks the second time someone has learned his identity. Oh, that's right. Yeah. After uh, Omnifarious. 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 I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's very uh, high school drama, but it's kind of entertaining. Yeah. I think, I think this, this could, if they made this a Halloween episode, it could have been so much more fun. Yeah, I think if they, if, like we said earlier, if they gave her a bit more of an interesting background or if they maybe leaned into the horror a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it could have been it could have been kind of fun. Yeah, especially, like, imagine this, but now everyone's in costume. Oh, yeah, that would be good. That'd mm-hmm. be really good, actually. Do you think they would have, like, snuck in a thriller reference? They totally would. Oh, definitely. Oh, we would have had reference they didn't. to everything. Yeah. I can't, it would have just been, I mean... Only if they made it two parts, though. <laughs> One part of it is just them recreating the Thriller video. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would watch that. Well, you, you'd have to have, like, a reference to every zombie movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I legitimately would watch an animated, like, shot-for-shot remake of Thriller with Virgil in the Michael Jackson role and Daisy as the girlfriend. Oh, yeah. That'd and be then, hilarious. Wait, do we, do we keep Vincent Price as the narrator, or do we have to put in a DCAU voice actor? Oh, you you get you just get um, Phil Lamar to do it. Oh, that's true. He could do it. I was going to suggest Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, that that's a good one. <laughs> really, just completely shatter the atmosphere of it. Uh, all right. Well, shall we move on to uh, duped? Yeah, speaking of great costumes. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... More this, purple. This episode has... There's so much going on in this episode, but the, the, the basic idea is that Virgil and Rubber Band Man, because he's back, yep. uh, go up against a new bang baby called Replicon, voiced Replicon. by Coolio. The great R&B singer Coolio. Basically, the, the whole story here is that uh, Adam, the real name of rubber band man is trying to uh get his cd produced through aj mclean of the backstreet boys yes and oh man uh replicon was an old buddy of his who now has the ability to shapeshift and so basically as a shapeshifter he tries to sabotage adam's uh success for his own now so what I was kind of thrown off by initially, because I didn't realize AJ McLean was actually a guest star in this episode. So Same. I was, really, I, 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 was I, I have no memory of this episode before this. Yeah. So I was really confused as to why they spent so much time talking about the Backstreet Boys. I was like, okay, I get it. They're making a, a pop culture reference. It's pretty common for this show, but like they hung on it for a good like what two minute scene. I don't know. I was so happy because I'm a huge Backstreet Boys fan. I, I was gonna ask you, are you are you Backstreet Boys or in sync? Oh, Backstreet Boys through and through. Okay. Yeah, I've seen them in concert, what, four times? I sang with Brian. What? Uh, Yeah, it was uh, when I saw them uh, after high school. So the summer between high school and college, there was the NKO BSB tour, which was New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys touring together. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, And there was a moment we we had tickets on the aisle, graciously given to me by my mother, who would Mm -hmm. not let me forget it if I didn't mention that here. Of course. Uh, and we were on. We had aisle seats, and I look up as new kids are performing, 
and I see them roping off a section of it and them closing the curtain uh, that led up to the the concession area. And I'm like, oh, someone's going to walk down here because uh, security's coming out. And so I like maneuver myself around my friend group. So I'm stand, so I'm on the seat right by the aisle. Uh, and of course, the lights dim and then the piano starts coming in and the song Shape of My Heart comes starts playing, which I sang for my second grade talent show. Uh, a great song. It's from the, the Black and Blue album. And the curtain opens and Brian is walking down, who is my favorite Backstreet Boys member. And I'm screaming my heart out trying to get his attention because I, you know, I love this song. And he stops next to me and chuckles, puts his arm around me and hands me the mic. And I finished the song with the rest of the Backstreet Boys. Oh, my God. Uh, and it was magical. I was on the Jumbotron. It was it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. W- was this the greatest moment of your life? The second greatest moment of my life, yes. <laughs> I, I feel like you can really understand where Frida and Daisy are coming from in this episode. I, I can, in a sense. But I one of my problems with this episode is I feel like Richie, Rita, and Daisy, or Frida and Daisy, are all like off character a little bit. Like, they're all a little bit too fangirly? Yeah, too fangirly and too, like, caricature of themselves. Like Richie too. Richie's not really fangirling about it, but he's just like, "Oh, you know, they they broke me. They broke me, Virgil. They gave me food, and I didn't know what to do. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm so weak." I I I see what you mean. It's it's a little bit caricature esque, but also I kind of get it. Like R- Richie, at the end of the day, he's a 14 year old guy who mm-hmm. loves his cheeseburgers and just desperately wants attention. Yeah. Also, I understand. I, I am both those things all the time. In desperate yes. need of cheeseburgers and attention. <laughs> but it, I, I, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting them to have a, a full-on cameo. So I'm like, okay, we're spending a lot of time with the Backstreet Boys. And then when they actually go to the record studio at AJ McLean's, I'm like, oh, now I get it. But also, what are you doing here, AJ McLean? Yes. <laughs> like, uh, why? Do, do we want to go into AJ's acting history really quick? I, I think we do, yeah, because I, I so after seeing him here, I'm like, okay, is there is there a reason why he was in this show? Like, is he a big comic book fan or something? Like, what's the deal? And so that led me down a uh, AJ McLean Wikipedia hole, something I legitimately thought I would never do in my entire life. Yeah, he, um, he's a he's an interesting guy. Wait, so what what movies has he been in? None. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I thought you said filmography like he had one. <laughs> he he has been in one other TV show. Okay, uh, where he was out, outside of um, uh, stuff that like all of the Backstreet Boys did together. Yeah, um, he was in let's see TV and film appearances. He was on Nickelodeon Guts back in 1992. Okay. Pre <laughs> this is before NSYNC or sorry before Backstreet Boys even existed. Really? Like yeah. he was just there as himself? Was he contested? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was a contestant. Okay. Uh, and then in 2002, he was on Static. Uh, and then his next solo acting appearance uh, was in 2018. Okay. Uh, when he did a voice of a character on the new Lion King TV series. I, I love the, it. The That's so Star. random. I would genuinely yes. expect you to say he was on Entourage at some point, because that, that would fit. So as so as the group, the Backstreet Boys performed on Arthur, Sesame Street, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and SNL. 
And then, of course, oh uh, and this is the end. Oh, that's yeah. That's one of their best cameos, though. That is mm-hmm. a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was trying to figure out like what his, his comic connection is. And you did the same thing. And it both led us to this amazing thing that I had no idea existed. And it was oh, a God. collaboration between the Backstreet Boys and Stan Lee. Called- oh, hold on. Let's, let's be specific. It's Nick Carter and Stan Lee. Oh, that's true. Nick Carter he- co-wrote it. Yes. Called the Backstreet Project, where the five members of the band. I'm just I'm just gonna read you the plot synopsis off of yes, Wikipedia. Please. It's so bizarre. <clears throat> so it begins when the Backstreet Boys are in the midst of one of their concerts. As they're performing on stage, a spacecraft crashes near the stadium. The members rush into the woods to the crash site, and there they find an alien. The alien gives each of them an enchanted amulet embedded with mystic crystals. And they learn that she's on a mission uh, to protect Earth from an alien invasion. When the band wear the ambulance, their DNA gets twisted by a virtual genetic cyclone that gives them each astonishing superpowers. The superhero form of the Backstreet Boys is the Cyber Crusaders. Yes. So just Green Lantern. <laughs> just the Green Lantern backstory. Yeah, basically just the Green Lantern backstory. Um, they each have an alter ego. So Nick oh, Carter God, is, it's so uh, bad. is Ninja Man, who's a martial arts expert. Howie is an illusioner who can create three-dimensional illusions and mental telepathy. AJ is ordnance. He's an excellent marksman. He's equipped with laser guns. Uh, Brian is top speed, able to generate spheres of energy and jump great heights. Uh, and the last one is Kevin Richardson is power lord, who has super strength and specifically can lift a Harrier jet. Yes. Uh, also, I feel like, should that be my new nickname, Power Lord? Yes, it should. <laughs> so, so what also made this comic interesting, quote, I, big air quotes on interesting, uh, is it was the, one of the first web comics. So it came out digitally first. Right. And you, you could only buy physical copies at the Backstreet Boys concerts. Of course. Uh, but they were not known as web comics back then. They are known as cyber comics. Oh and I don't know God. what about that makes me so like frustrated. I I think because every step, like every element of the story you go down gets more and more early 2000s. Like yes. starting out with Static Shock, starting out then with a Backstreet Boy member having a voiceover cameo appearance on a kid's cartoon to them having their own superhero comic that was released as a cyber comic specifically. Also, there were webisodes. Yes. Too. Uh, and apparently Burger King made action figures of them. Yes. And, and for people wondering uh, if this was a good comic or how long this comic run lasted, uh, it was one issue. <laughs> uh, and even then, it's being generous with one. Yes. Uh, so so with the... with. AJ and, and the Backstreet Boys, there's another WB connection. Uh, so it, for the timeline, uh, the, the Backstreet Project was, was, in 1990, was in 2000, 2001. Yeah. So it was a couple of years before um, Static Shock. Uh, but in 1997, for a week, uh, the Backstreet Boys took over Kids WB in preparation for their new music video of Backstreet's Back. They did? They did. And there's there's a bunch of interstitials on YouTube. Uh, and it's they're bad actors. Oh my god. They well, are we'll bad li- actors. We will link them in the show notes. That is yes. fantastic. Yes, yeah, so that was their first connection to Kids WB. 
and then the comic, and then this. Uh, and also what's very fascinating about the timing of this, I don't know if you if you did your Backstreet Boy research as in-depth as I did. I'm sure I did. Uh, a month before this episode came out, the Backstreet Boys broke up. No, really? Yes, yes. So I was I was frantically Googling why there were no... Like, you know, you would expect in the same way that Shaq took over Kids WB for the day of the, the Static Shaq episode. Yeah. I was expecting AJ to take over for that day, you know, that Saturday morning. Or, you mm-hmm. know, the Backstreet Boys to take over for that Saturday morning. Uh, and I, I learned because the Backstreet Boys had just broken up, uh, none of them were, none of them did any press for, I think it was like two years. Oh my uh, God. And then they had their reunion album in 2004. And then continued to not do press. Jesus Christ. Uh, also, I really would have loved if there was a three-way crossover with Static Shock and the Backstreet Boys and uh, Shaq, and it was Backstreet Shaq. That's good. Yeah, I, I like want it. that. I want mm-hmm. that now. Um, uh, it's it's so it's so random. Like the, honestly, like the rest of the plot is doesn't really matter. It's exactly what you expect it to be. Um, like they eventually figure out that Replicon has like disguised himself as AJ and it all is right with the world. Um, but so I do want to talk about Coolio. But before we do that, <laughs> before we get to the, the the most important part of this episode, talking about Coolio, I, I do want to acknowledge that like Rubber Band Man actually is kind of a unique comic book character. So if you think about it, he's a reformed villain who's now a fully fledged and accepted hero. His Secret identity identity is publicly known. Mm-hmm. He actually has a legitimate career going on top of his superheroing, and is and known a stable for both. relationship and a stable relationship. Yes, like he is a, a unicorn amongst heroes. <laughs> like there is an argument to be made that he is the most well-rounded, fleshed-out superhero ever because he that's... is able to do the things that no one else is able to do. Yeah. So with, with the the public identity thing, one thing that I found fascinating is he's no longer like a celebrity. Oh yeah, I guess that's so, like, true. Like, yeah, like he, like, you know, he walks around, it does his normal stuff, and no one really cares. Yeah, it's like he his like fall from grace helped kind of pull him out of the the public eye, and now like he's like I think you know basically recognized as like being respected by like law enforcement and by the community and stuff. But yeah, he's not like a. a, a yeah, celebrity more. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Who? So I, I have a, a weird question. I have one specific person in mind. Okay. But is there a, a celebrity in the real world who do you, who you think is as grounded and uh, well-versed in the world as, as Rubber Band Man? Uh, who's his grand? Uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, I, I, yeah, Keanu Reeves is up there. I had I had a conversation about this this person this week, and so that's why he's top of mind. Okay, uh, Jack Black. Oh yeah, I've heard that about Jack Black. Is 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 kind of this unicorn of actors? Where I I think we we even made the joke on the podcast. Jack Black is is the kind of famous that kids think famous is. That's true. Yeah, he's famous for being everything. Well, for, for being everything, and also just like just does whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna do a concert. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a song with my best friend about how the devil's fart smells. And we're gonna go on <laughs> tour, and then I'm gonna go play video games with my kid, and then go do this movie real quick, and then I was gonna pop over to to South Korea and do a game show, and then come back yeah. home and play more video games. Uh, he, like, I I love Jack Black. Also, like, I think he's kind of underappreciated as an actor. 
I think so too. I, I think because he's this huge personality in real life, like the his real life character is more. It feels more action, like not action. Like he, it feels like he's acting more in real life than he is in his movies. Yeah, like he's such a big personality to begin with, but like you put him into a movie, and it's not like he has to get that much bigger. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still love him playing a teenage girl in the Jumanji movies. Oh, they're great. He's so good in that. But also, like, School of Rock is a great film, and he's really, really good in it. It's, uh, Nacho Libre? <laughs> I've actually never seen Nacho Libre. It, it's worth a watch. It's very okay. dumb. It's 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 very much the, like, I, I would compare it similar to Napoleon Dynamite. It was, like, the early independent yeah. film era. Um, I, mean, I feel like they're of a similar uh, cut from the same cloth. And there was there's another movie that came out a couple years ago where it's like he's it's it's a serious movie he's in. Uh, is it I, Bernie? Bernie. Mm-hmm. That, I, yeah, I kept wanting to say Bruno. Yeah, Bernie. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's also Richard Linklater who directed yes. School of Rock. Who uh, let's let's take a, a tangent upon a tangent here to talk about the fact that Richard Linklater is like genuinely one of the most like bizarrely versatile directors out there. So this is the guy who did um, Boyhood, the movie that was shot over. 12 years mm-hmm. he did the the before trilogy which is one of the greatest trilogies of cinema ever made he also did school of rock he did the bad news bears like the remake of it he just does he like all these random bears. things well let's but not forget his his most famous movie in my opinion is days and confused mm. oh that's true yeah days and confused is definitely like what he's kind of most known for yeah um, and then it's, yeah. it's spiritual sequel everyone wants some which is a great I movie that no that. one watched i really need to see that it's good i mean it's got Tyler Hoechlin in very short 1970s short shorts. So what am I doing yes. wasting my time? Scanner Darkly. Yeah. Bad News no, he, Bears. He's, he's a great. Um, okay. But now now that we've acknowledged the Roar Band Man is like legitimately probably one of the best heroes ever, it's time to talk about Coolio. Let's talk about it. Okay. So I, I when I first saw the character, I'm like, oh, that looks like Coolio. And then I eventually looked it up. Like, okay, yeah, he's also voiced by Coolio, which makes sense. Now, again, I was like, wait, does Coolio have some sort of, like, connection with comics? Because I don't know if you remember this, Cameron, but Coolio has a cameo appearance in Batman and Robin. I I did not remember that. He runs the, like, neon psychedelic motorcycle race that Barbara participates in. Um, And so when I, I was doing my research on Coolio, yet again, another thing I thought I would never do in my entire life. Um, I discovered that uh, according to him, at least I can't find any other sources on this, but that he did that cameo in Batman and Robin because he was told he could play the scarecrow in the sequel that never happened. Oh, cause I had heard that Nicholas cage was being considered to play the scarecrow. I also heard that Howard Stern was being considered. I'd never heard Coolio was before. I feel like Coolio just like makes up roles for himself. I, I feel like this was a thing where he was probably like pestering Joel Schumacher on the set and Joel Schumacher was like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Just like do your thing and like maybe we can bring it back and like you can be a villain in the next movie. And then he later on heard the villain was supposed to be the Scarecrow and so now he's like made this mental connection to himself of saying like, oh, I was supposed to be the Scarecrow. Because I just don't see it. Oh, no, neither do I. <laughs> no. Like I... Apparently I he's see... also in daredevil yeah okay so i'm looking at at his filmography uh he has a lot of very interesting appearances he's in Um, so much stuff yeah he's in sabrina he's in keenan and kel batman he does he does a theme song of keenan and kel 
Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was in Duckman, um, The Nanny, uh, Leprechaun in the Hood, the, uh, the Convent. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. Static. Yeah. He had a cut appearance in Daredevil. Charm, like, the TV series. Oh, I forgot he voiced Kwanzaa Bot in yeah, Futurama. Futurama. Uh, and Gravity then most recently, Falls. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, the, the show I just finished rewatching. He he's a, a wax figure in Gravity Falls. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know much about Coolio. He seems like an odd dude, but hey, you know what? He he's beyond his like very successful like music career, he's had a pretty good run of just random cameo appearances. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Who was it uh, in the first Fast and Furious movie? Who was it that was replaced by Ludacris? Ja Rule? Ja Rule. That's, I, I thought Coolio. I, I replaced Ja Rule and Coolio. <laughs> uh, ja Rule, now famous for his involvement in the Firefest? Yes. <laughs> what? I, you know what? Sometimes... I think we actually are living in a computer simulation and these random glitches happen. Yeah. Like even this episode of static shock, like two very dated cameo appearances in one episode. Oh, Oh, and there's more because Mr. Biggs, I assume is supposed to be Suge Knight. Oh yeah, uh, probably. And in a play on Biggie Smalls. And also, we have a J-Lo name drop in there. We do have a J-Lo name drop. I mean, hey, at least J-Lo is still relevant. Yes. Uh, oh, and, and I forgot to mention in the, in the first episode of Attack of the Living Brain Puppets, there was a, a name drop that I, I was shocked that I got, which I think you might, you might have missed, um, when, when uh, Virgil walks in and Richie's punching the, the vending machine. He says, you don't need to go all De La Hoya on it. Oh, Yeah. And Oscar De La Hoya was a huge boxer in the early huge. 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was very excited. As someone who, who misses boxing dearly, it was nice to hear a boxing cameo. Uh, it gave you that, that little bit, a little bit of boxing you need right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. What, what a weird episode. Also, the first time we've ever seen Frida and Daisy together. Right. The one that replaced the other are now friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That they're friends. I don't know if they're ever together again, but, you know. I, I think at this point, they're, they're kind of like a foursome. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I think, think it's Frida fair. starts yeah. to work her way back in the story. Yeah, I, I like Frida. I was glad to see her uh, her make a reappearance. Yeah, because the next um, episode is, is focusing a lot on Frida. Oh, that's right. Yeah, our, yeah, our the season next two finale. It's going to be, a, it's a rough one. It's It's probably the second hardest episode to watch. I don't know anything about it other than uh, when it, like, was primed to uh, start up on DC Universe after watching this week's episode, the introductory sentences in this very special episode of Static Shock. I'm like, oh God. Yeah, it's it's oh. it's, it's a rough <laughs> one. If a kid's show is calling itself out as being a very special episode, it's uh, it's going to be a lot. So, Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm look, excited for you to watch this one. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, anything else on this episode? Uh, I think I think that's everything. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, move on to bat plugs here? So uh, I know Cameron, you've been great about going on and doing some uh, some plugs on the Instagram story. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Uh, but what else have you been uh, catching up on with your uh, extra free time now? So I, I have two things to plug, and, and they're very unique plugs for me. 
Uh, one is a book because I'm, I'm physically reading a book right Wait, now. You're, you're physically reading an actual book. <clears throat> I am. And it's a book that I've been meaning to read for years. You know, and when I, I told I, you once that it would take the apocalypse for you to actually read a book, I didn't mean for it to actually happen. No, but it did. It did. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, it, it's a book I've been meaning to read for a while, and I'm glad I finally picked it up because it's very bizarre. Okay. I, I'm reading Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Oh, nice. The book, yes, the book that the movie is based off of. How is it so far? Uh, it's good. It, it's very different. Okay. Um, so I, I think I've mentioned this before when we did our Roger Rabbit solo episode, um, that the book focuses on comic strip characters and not cartoon characters. Right. Uh, but with them being comic strip characters, they're able to duplicate themselves because they're needed in multiple panels. Oh. Um, and so as this story goes the main Roger is murdered as Eddie's trying to the uh, Roger's having a, a fight with his uh, uh, his managers because there's rumor out in, in, in Hollywood that he's wanted for a solo story to be to be a lead of his own strip, but they're not letting him do it with his contract. Okay. Uh, and so then Roger is murdered and his clone which only lasts for like 48 hours uh, is left. And so it's uh, Eddie Valiant and the Roger clone trying to figure oh, out interesting. who murdered Roger. Yeah. It definitely sounds darker. It's, it's very, it's very dark, uh, but it's written very, it, it's very, um, what's his face? Um, Douglas Adams esque. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very like bouncy writing, which I, I like tongue-in-cheek and kind of whimsical yeah so are uh, you reading this as a book because you literally couldn't find it in any other medium well i i was worried about getting the audiobook because i thought there might have been pictures i thought there, oh, there might have actually okay. been like comic strips as a part of it yeah uh but it's not it, it's it's all pictures uh, sorry it's all it's all words um oh, nice yeah and and the chapters are one of the other reasons i like reading this one is i feel like i'm accomplishing a lot because every chapter is only like three pages. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'll, you know, I'll read like one chapter while I'm waiting for a video to render. Yeah. It's like a James Patterson novel. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing I want to plug really quick, and this one is, is a very unique kind of plug, but uh, through Khan Academy, the, the free uh, kind of online schooling website, um, there's a, a unique class that has come out called Imagineering in a Box. Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, and it's this kind of four-part uh, four video essay series about what it takes to be an Imagineer. Uh, and kind of at the end of it, you kind of get to build your own theme park. <clears throat> oh, my God. This is uh, the dead center of your wheelhouse. Exactly. Uh, so I'm, I, I've just finished the first section, which is all about like how to theme a land. And yeah. how to, uh, you know, like, how do you get around? What does it look like? What kind of feel do you want with your people going in? What feel do you want with them coming out of the land? Um, all this really cool stuff and, like, stuff I never really thought about when I would sketch other theme parks. Um, yeah. And then the next section, which I'm going to start after this podcast, is uh, all about how to design rides. That's really uh, cool. How long are the classes? That. Uh, oh, they're they're short. Each each 
section is only about five minutes. It, it's oh, very wow. digestible. Yeah, so it's a five-minute yeah. video and then kind of like a, a task to do uh, that kind of builds on. So I, I have a sketch of my park. I have like a V1 sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for each lesson, it's like, okay, here's how you should plan your buildings and what they should kind of be in the feel of them. Okay, now here's what the walkway should be in the feel of them. Uh, and then th- it ends with like the fight between theming and efficiency of like, you know, if you want your theme, if you want the, the land to feel like adventurous and discovery and you have all these kind of tight turns to reveal things as you walk through, you also have to think about that there's 5,000 people an hour all trying to do this at the same time. So how do you have these kind of tight, mysterious spaces while also not causing traffic jams? Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. It's, it's brought me so much joy this week. Yeah. How'd you find it? Uh, so one of the Disney accounts posted about it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so once I'm done with the class, I'll, I'll do like an Instagram live or something where I'll kind of walk through uh, the theme park I created. Oh, cannot wait. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, also along similar lines, you do have one more plug. Do I? For I Disney. do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me remind you of your own plug. Yes. Uh, so as, as I think I've brought up before on the podcast, I have an animated series I've been doing with Disney called Positively Mini, and we had our third episode come out last week. Uh, so if you, we're, we'll post it in the show notes, uh, but if you go to YouTube or Instagram sometime soon uh, and you Google Positively Mini, episode three is about uh, Minnie's morning routine. Uh, and it's very cute, and it's very sweet, and it's very quarantine-friendly. <laughs> As all good content should be these days. Yes. No, but, I mean, that's that's awesome. Like, uh, yeah, I've seen them. They're all really, really sweet, just, like, really fantastic, like, fun visual storytelling. You've done a great job with those. So. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'll absolutely post those in the show notes. You can go check them out. Mm-hmm. What, have you, what are your plugs? What are you watching, reading, listening? Uh, so... Uh, Unsurprisingly, I have been reading a book, just finished a book, actually. Um, and it's what, Cameron, I think you would quite like it. So it's called Meddling Kids. I'm, I'm already down. It sounds by, good to do. Uh, by Edgar Quintero. And so it basically the idea, it's a, a Scooby gang proxy, you know, so there's like the, the four teenagers and their dog. And in 1977, they, you know, like were like the, like the summer detective sort of thing, this like group. And they uncovered this mystery about a monster out at a lake. Um, and they're like local heroes for it and everything. And then uh, the bulk of the story takes place um, like now when they're in their early mid 20s and the early 90s. And they've all been complete wrecks ever since. So like the and this isn't really a spoiler. It's very early on in the book. But, like the the Fred archetype has like became a, a TV star. And then he killed himself. And Shaggy is in a mental institute. And then the, the Daphne Velma characters are like kind of changed up a little bit. So they kind of combine Daphne and Velma into like the, like the, like the cool hot girl who's also like the genius. And then um, the kind of fourth character is the protagonist, Andy. Um, and she's like the, the, the tomboy and she's been just doing random odd jobs ever since. But like, they're basically all still distraught from something that happened to them when they were solving this mystery, you know, 10 years ago. And they basically realize they have to go back to the lake town to figure out what happened. And it's, you know, this idea of like, oh, is, you know, was there actually something supernatural going on 
there. And so it it's fun. Like it, they do a good job of uh, taking like the Scooby-Doo archetypes and, and turning them a little bit and playing with them. Um, but you know, a lot of the, the staples are still there. I mean, it's right there in the title. There, there are definitely times when it feels like maybe this started out as a spec script and then became a novel. There's like weird little things. Um, I found the, the prose kind of like odd and I can't really put my finger on it. But like there are also times when the writer will, instead of doing traditionally in a novel, like you'll just have like, um, lines of dialogue like one after the other between characters he'll do this thing where he'll just go into sections where he'll put the character's name and then colon and then what they're saying and it's a little bit distracting okay uh, um but like it definitely feels like a like what would have been a spec script for like a rated r like edgy scooby-doo style movie that became its own thing but for its own thing it's actually quite a bit of fun like i definitely liked it a lot yeah so, the, the way you're describing it, it sounds kind of a mix of like um scooby-doo and like the second half of it yeah a little bit like there's definitely some elements of it in there like it, you know in the same sort of way like you know like brightburn is what if superman was a villain like yeah that's kind of what this is like hey let's yeah, take what this. if scooby-doo is written by um stephen king yeah exactly like take this this archetypal uh character and do something different with it but it's it's a lot of fun i definitely recommend uh checking it out yeah so. i'll definitely check that out yeah, and then um, very rare for me, I've been playing a video game, too. You have. I, so I've been playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order because I was like, okay, we're about ready to go into quarantine. I'm going to have a little bit of downtime on my hands. Let's go ahead and pick up a video game. I've heard it's a fun one. Uh, but I could tell how long it had been since I played a video game because when I went to go do the hour and a half necessary updates for both the Xbox and the game before I could actually play, Mm-hmm. I had to connect my Xbox to my wireless network and I've been living in my apartment for over a year. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I played a video game. Um, it's not quite what I expected. Like I was expecting something kind of in the vein of Force Unleashed, which that first game is still one of my all-time favorite games. I probably played it through five or six times. Um, this is more like Tomb Raider, but with a Jedi. Like, okay. So, you know even to the point of like you're like you're climbing around or there's moments when you like you'll slide down like an ice luge sort of thing but you're doing puzzles and you're uncovering secrets and mysteries um but it's a good story and like the 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 combat is definitely not forced unleashed like forced unleashed was just like hey go out there and just like smash buttons and beat the shit out of people this is all based around more like a, a parry system where if someone goes to attack you, you're meant to like block at just the right time to then like deflect an attack. And it's that part is a little bit tricky to kind of figure out. Uh, but it's, it's cool. It's good world building. It's set, I think five years after revenge of the Sith. So there's a lot of elements, of the prequels in there. Like it, your character starts out at a, like a spaceship disassembly yard, taking apart old Republic era star destroyers, which is pretty cool. And, um, you know, like some of the characters from Rebels are in there. So like the, the kind of the main villains are the um, the Inquisitors, which are these uh, force sensitive, like pseudo Sith characters that are out there hunting down Jedi. But, Interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's you know, if you if you like Star Wars, if you like those kind of games or if you like Force Unleashed, I think this is kind of close enough in that same sort of vein. It's a, it's well worth a play. So. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. It's, it's something that's been on my list to check out for a little bit. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's worth it. Give it a go. So yeah, maybe, but, maybe once I'm done with animal crossing, I'll check it out. Oh yeah. How's animal crossing been? Oh, uh, life, uh, threatening. <laughs> like, 
like life-threatening as in it's threatening to consume you or life-threatening is the game regularly threatens to kill you if you don't keep playing uh, a, a little both okay <laughs> yeah it, it's completely ruined my sleep schedule which is already not great wait do you actually have to be like awake at certain times no i just i i have such a bad gaming addiction oh that's right yeah so wait, usually uh, I, have, I we're hmm. recording this on a sunday are you about to go participate in the stock market Oh, I did it before we before we you started. Did it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know anything about Animal Crossing other than on Sundays, there's this thing called the stock market, S-T-A-L-K, which you explained to me. Yes. Of like, it's like a farmer's market sort of thing, right? No, it's it's a it's like a stock market kind of thing. Oh, okay, but with like corn stocks. Oh, with uh, turnip stocks. Turnip stocks, even better. Yeah, so every Sunday you have a character appear on your island and you can buy turnips from them. And then throughout the week, if you go and talk to the people you sell stuff to, Timmy and Tommy Nook, um, every day they'll buy the turnips at a different price. So most days it'll be lower. So usually buy them around 90 to to $100 uh, per turnip. Um, and then sometimes they'll buy them at like 110 They'll buy them usually at like 60 But then every, every couple of weeks, on a rare occasion, you'll be able to buy them for like $450. Oh, damn. Yeah. So it's, you know, te- teaching kids how the, how, the, how the stock market works pretty early. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. I yes. love it. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think that does it for us this week. Yes, our first quarantined episode. Done. Our first quarantine episode. We did it. We, we made it through. Hopefully, the auto quality is uh, <laughs> it's good. We'll yes. figure that out very soon. Uh, but, yeah, I, so I'm very curious if anyone has any amusing stories about high school student body politics i want to know if anyone actually ever had like a real like dramatic experience doing that in any sort of way was it actually meaningful to anyone or was it just like as passive and pointless as it seems to be in real life uh also question part two to that yeah question part two to that does anyone have any fun cool over the top stories about coolio we'd also love to hear (laughs) that yes send us your real life experiences with coolio Joel Schumacher, if you listen to this, what was it like working with him yes, on Batman share. and Robin? Yeah, and was he going to be the Scarecrow? Yeah. Very curious. Uh, but yeah, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Uh, we'd also love to know what you guys are doing to keep yourselves busy during the uh, the quarantine. Very curious about that. So yes, yeah, share all of your all of your plugs. And then uh, Cameron, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on my two archived Instagram pages. Uh, at uh, If you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Is your main one considered archived because you can't go to Disneyland anymore? So there's no content Yes, for it. I can't do anything. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Cameron. Oh, it's, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. We'll, we'll power through. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Lordifer on Instagram. I mean, not that I'm really posting anything. I'll probably post some Lego stuff since I've been, you know, building. Yeah, yeah, share, share your big Lego stuff. Yeah, building Legos in the meantime. Uh, but thank you as always for listening. Sorry we had to take a bit of a break there, but now that we seem to have worked out the kinks, uh, we'll be back on our normal schedule. Yes. All right, thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks, guys. Bye. Superhero static shock.